Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Christianity Now. This is Season 2, Episode 1. And as one is the loneliest number, I am by myself. Aaron Dotson, my co-host, has had to take the day off to uh, travel back home. Uh, they've had a death in the family. I believe the maternal grandmother, uh, the, his his wife's grandmother, and uh, the funeral is a couple days away. But they live far enough away that they needed to go. They needed to go today. So keep him in your prayers. Uh, we have experienced some weird technical difficulty. I use a third-party streaming service called Restream, and for some reason, I could not stream to the Digital Bible Study Facebook page. I can stream to Digital Bible Study YouTube channel and the Cogitations Facebook page and the 2 by 2 podcast. So I'm so thankful for those of you that are listening on the 2 by 2 and the Cogitations and the Digital Bible Study uh, YouTube channel. Please be our algorithm. It doesn't cost you a dime to long press on it and share it, like it, comment. Let us know you're here. Let us know where you're from. Ask Bible questions. Make suggestions. You disagree with us? Let us know. We'll talk about it a little bit. We'll try not to make let it devolve into just a, an argument back and forth online because, you know, people people like arguing online, and I like arguing just as much as anybody, but we do want to be cognizant of our folks listening and uh, not let it devolve into that. I'm not very good at this without Aaron. Uh, the show works better with two people, but uh, he is he and his wife and family are in our prayers, in my prayers personally, and uh, he's traveling with that, him and his wife traveling with that newborn baby, and uh, that's that's kind of difficult. The inspiration for the show is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. You know, David needed some advice, and the children of Israel sent emissaries from all 12 tribes, and each of them had their own particular set of skills. And the sons of Issachar, basically they had knowledge of current events. So that, that's what this show is all about. And what I do, so you don't have to, is I go to YouTube or to, to, or to TikTok. If you want to have your finger on the pulse of what is going on in the world, uh, what is being promoted, then go to TikTok. And sadly, you, will, you, you better have a strong constitution because some of the things you find is horrible. Some of the things that I found I cannot show on a platform like this in good conscience although I do think that it is very important for our brethren to be exposed to it. Most normal people don't believe this is happening. Like, for instance, with some of the trans stuff, with some of the grooming, the child grooming in our public school system, it, people fall into this normalcy bias, and they say, no, Tony, there may be some outliers. There may be some crazies in big cities that are promoting this stuff. Those books that you talk about sometimes with the explicit uh, depictions of oral sex between minors and sometimes, uh, you know, sexual grooming between an adult and a child th that are trying to normalize that behavior. 
Yeah, there, there might be some fringe cases, but you know those books are not infiltrating our school systems. Well, that's just not true. It's it's ubiquitous at this point. Everywhere in the United States, this is this is happening, and that's why we have a podcast like Christianity Now is to bring awareness to these kind of things. I wish we had a bigger platform. I wish we had more people out there to to listen to this. And uh, I wish we had a bigger budget. You know, if we had a bigger budget, we could actually hire people to do our internet scouring for us and to help us with production and stuff like that. But anyway, that's farther down the road. I've got a couple of videos today. Normally, we look at videos from TikTok. And I've got a couple today that I want to talk about I think are interesting, Uh, one of which is an excerpt from an interview that uh, Jordan Peterson and Piers Morgan have. And I thought it's very interesting, and it reminded me of a time whenever I was out door knocking, and I'm going to relate this story to you after we watch the video. Before we get into the meat of our podcast, I would invite you to consider supporting us as podcasters. Um, The easiest way to do it is when you listen to this after the fact uh, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, in the show notes will be ways to support us as podcasters. You can do that through uh, Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. You can send me a PayPal, uh, anything like that. And if you're unable to support financially, remember, be the algorithm for us. That doesn't cost you a dime. Follow the YouTube channel. Follow the Facebook pages that are associated with the program and uh, recommend us to your friends. All right. Good morning, Sue Ross. So glad to see you. Now let's get in. Um, let's get into this. My sons have come today because I just wanted to Whoops. listen to this. Very unusual. One of them's not even been to the studio before. So he just said to me, "All right, hold on, just I said, a second. Give me some, one of my sons." I don't like the fact that whenever I click the button to load this video, that it immediately starts playing. I always forget that. So setting the stage, this is a a, a very short excerpt from a very long video. Piers Morgan and Jordan Peterson are not necessarily antagonistic to one another. They do um, have some beliefs that that line up with each other. They are on opposite sides of the fence in other areas. But this part of the exchange I thought was very interested, interesting, and it 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 puts me in mind of a of an experience that happened to me. So let's let's go. We're just going to listen to this. One of my sons, two of my sons, have come today because this one of the Listen to this. Very unusual. One of them's not even been to the studio before. So he just said to me, I said, give me some advice. You know, you love Jordan Peterson. What's the advice for the interview? He said, just listen more than you normally do. Mm. <laughs> so I've tried, I've tried hard to ask a question and let you answer. Right. And so I'm work in progress. And I've been yeah. interviewing people for 35 years. But I do think the listening, as I've got older, I've felt the same thing. That yeah, it's a real skill, man. Listening is a, is a powerful tool, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, there isn't peop- there is nothing that people like more and need more than to be listened to. All right. I'm going to pause it there for just a moment. Jordan Peterson is a clinician. He has he's graduated from the top universities. He's a clinician. He was tenured at the University of Toronto. And he's very interesting to listen to. If you're a, especially if you're a man. And you feel like you're spinning your wheels. You feel like you're not the man that you should be. Problems in your marriage, problems in interpersonal relationships, 
problems being successful in the world. If you're a single man and you have, you're having a problem attracting a mate, Jordan Peterson is a very good resource for you. Uh, I, I put my stamp of approval. And let me tell you his message. His message is, it's your fault. Shape up. Start acting like a man. Be formidable. Start with cleaning your room. Very good stuff. And it's all biblical. That's the thing. He wrote this book, 12 Rules for Life. Bestseller. Sold millions of copies. He wrote a sequel, 12 More Rules for Life. Now, I'm not taking anything away from his brilliance, but you can get all of it from the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, oddly enough, probably more so from the book of Ecclesiastes. But the the point is this. Um, he is teaching young men and not so young men that what the world tells you, that your feelings are important, it's not your fault, and there are things beyond your control, he's teaching them to be formidable, to be accountable, to take control of their life, and to uh, quit yourselves and, and be like men, stand firm in the faith. That's his lesson. That's his mantra. And he's a clinician that has tens of thousands of hours uh, in, or thousands of hours in uh, clinical work, uh, listening to people through uh, dialectic or didactic therapy, whatever you want to call it, and uh, very interesting. Anyway, let's let's keep going. So he's saying listening is is a hard skill, and you wouldn't believe the amount of people that just need listened to. You know, and that's partly why the left clamors all the time. You know, it says, look, there's all these people who aren't being listened to. It's like, there are a lot of people who aren't being listened to. Mm. They're absolutely right. There's no doubt about that. And I've dealt with people who were extraordinarily marginalized, so to speak, in my clinical practice. And some of those people, to straighten out their minds, they need like 10,000 hours of listening. Because mm. no one, and I mean this literally, I've had people in my clinical practice no one ever listened to them their whole life. Yeah. And so when you, they start talking, they're all over the place. They're disorganized. They're hyper-emotional. So the, the point there, listening is a skill that has to be cultivated. Listening is one of the most important things you can do. And I'm going to talk about that for a little bit in relation to studying the Bible with people. So often, whenever an evangelist sits down to study the Bible with somebody, the evangelist does all the talking. And, and you know, you're thinking, well, the evangelist, he knows the truth, and the person he's talking to doesn't know the truth. So that, that truth, that information has to be disseminated from one person to another. So the, the person that knows more needs to do more of the talking. That's true if we are talking about two people where one is is self-actualized to the point where they are actually ready to hear that information. The problem is you have two people meeting. One person knows the truth. One person is trying to convert this uh, person to Christ. And the person who's in need of the conversion, the person who is in need of Christ, is so mentally and emotionally and physically dysregulated that they can't hear these kind of things. So what do you do? Well, you just have to listen. You need to let these people tell their stories. First off, 
if you are, if you listen to them, and I mean you really listen to them, and this is difficult for me. I mean, I I talk. How many hours a week do I talk into a microphone? Okay, it's hard for me to listen. This is a this is a skill that needs to be honed. It's it's a muscle that needs to be exercised. But I started picking up on this years ago. I'm like, I talking too much whenever I'm trying to help people come to a knowledge of the truth. And even going all the way back into my former life when I was training horses and I was selling horses, I realized in the beginning, oh, when I'm trying to sell a horse, I talking too much. The way you sell a horse is you brush your horse off, make it clean, uh, make it presentable, make sure it's got a good haircut. Yes, you give horses haircuts. And saddle that horse up, put the bridle on. The the prospect that's wanting to test drive your horse, you hand the reins and say, this is a good horse. Take him for a spin. And you keep your mouth shut. You let the horse do the talking. Well, that's kind of the way with with studying the Bible with somebody. Sometimes you just got to, you, you present the truth. You this sounds weird. Clean it up the best way you can. Not that you need to clean the truth up. Be careful how how far you stretch your metaphor. But the idea is you say, this is the truth. Talk to me about yourself. And then you keep your mouth shut and let these people talk and let them work through all of these things. They will tell you exactly what you need to know to get the job done. And what is the job? to help these people eventually to baptize them into Christ so they can be raised again to walk in newness of life. But you've got to, you've got to traverse that median distance. How do you do that? Not by talking. You let them talk. You traverse that distance by listening, and they will tell you everything they need to know. It's, uh, I remember when I was working for Tractor Supply Company, uh, we had this, uh, is it an acronym? Anyway, GURA, G-U-R-A. And um, whenever a customer comes in the store, you greet them, you uncover their needs, you recommend products to meet their needs, and then you ask for the sale. How do you do this? Well. It's like whenever you're evangelizing, whenever you're sitting down some, with somebody to talk to them about Jesus, you greet them, okay? Hello, I'm, you know, we, we've, we've met, uh, good to see you. You uncover their needs. How do you uncover their needs? You ask open-ended questions. You ask open-ended questions. You just, hey, so, um, you know, we're sitting down for this Bible study, you know, for, how has your week been? What what are some of your struggles? What are some of the areas in your life where you feel like you've really got it figured out? You get these people talking, and you really listen, and you make these mental checks, and there's nothing wrong in a formal situation. I'm not saying that whenever you meet people on the street for the first time, you have a notepad and you start taking notes. That's, that's kind of off-putting. But if you're in a formal situation, and you're sitting down with a Bible study, and you're asking them questions, open-ended questions, what do you do? You, you can take notes. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and you, you, you might even make a show like, oh, hey, that's interesting, and you write it down. I want to ask you more about that later, but tell me about this thing that you just said. 
and, and you get them, and they start ordering these things in their mind, and they will tell you what, what you need to know in order to help them come to Christ because they will articulate their barrier to entry. There is a barrier to entry for the straight gate. The, the, the straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. So that means there's a barrier to entry. That means that if someone is carrying around a bunch of baggage, they can't walk down that road. How do you, how do you help them? Well, you, you listen to them, and they will tell you exactly what they're carrying. And you can go to scriptures and help them, and you can break down those barriers. I'll give you an example. First off, we've got a lot of really good comments here. Thank you so much. Um, and they're not just, they're not good comments just because they're agreeing with me. Okay. Let me, let me, the good comments can disagree with me. Um, but good morning, Brandon Dressner and Joan Smith, Sue Ross. Good morning. And, uh, Yannette, good to see you, Yannette. Hope you're doing okay over there in Toronto. Um, I totally agree with you, brother, about listening. Thank you very much. And Sue Ross says, this is so true. Listening is such a forgotten skill and it may be a skill that when, and I know what you mean when you say forgotten. It, from a from a public general public standpoint, forgotten. Um, but from an individual uh, perspective, it might not be a skill that's forgotten by the individual. It might not be a skill that they've ever uh, cultivated. For instance, uh, I grew up in a home where listening was not prioritized, and I never felt heard. I never felt validated, um, which caused me to have some issues in my young adulthood, by the way. But anyway, but I know what you mean. I, I 100% agree that listening from a, from a general public standpoint is a forgotten skill. And uh, good morning, uh, Joe Sal Donnelly. And uh, Yannette, Yannette goes on to say, this is what I have to do uh, today. Um, oh, this, sorry. This is what I have to do day in, day out as a financial advisor. Yes, that's the thing. Thank you for that, Unit. In any situation, in any industry where you're offering a service and you're helping people improve themselves, you have to listen. A doctor, what is a doc? What's the first thing a doctor does whenever he walks into a room? Now, granted, this might not be a, a really good example because doctors are so pressed for time and the medicine, medicine industry, the medical industry has changed over the years. But the first thing the doctor does is have to say, where does it hurt? What, what seems to be wrong today? The doctor would not come in and start asking closed-ended questions, which is yes or no. Like He wouldn't come in to a person sitting in the exam room and say, hey, is your knee hurting? Well, no. Is your foot hurting? Well, no. I mean, you realize how many questions he would have to ask because he's trying to make assumptions to figure out what's wrong? The best thing to do for a doctor is to walk in the room and say, hey, what's going on today? What brings you in today? It's funny how with a doctor, with somebody who visits your assembly, or with somebody you're trying to sell flooring to, or somebody you're trying to give financial advice to, or somebody you're trying to give weight loss advice to, or somebody you're trying to sell any kind of little trinket, flooring, uh, cartons, if you work at a curtain store, fabric, what brings you in today? The same question is asked in all industries. 
why are we here? And what if you've gone so far as to actually set up the Bible study and you're sitting in their, in their house, they've invited you in and you're sitting down and you're going through this Bible study. And I like using Paul Sain's book, Someone Died and Left You a Fortune. Uh, I know that there's other, other books and stuff like that that are great, but you can always ask them, hey, what, what's our goal here? What, what is the reason we are doing this? And ask them. And they will tell you. You know, I I studied for hours per day for about three or four days in a row with a group of Mormon missionaries. It ended with a young man weeping, saying, well, my faith is just not strong enough because I brought them to the point where they had to affirm that if, if what they taught was true, they would be able to do a miracle to back it up. And since they couldn't do a miracle, he come to the conclusion his faith wasn't strong enough. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty rough. Sorry, I shouldn't have gone all there. But but my point is, I was up front with them. You know, I was like, listen, I, I want to talk to you. I'll have you in my house. But you understand that, that I'm antagonistic to your beliefs and I'm antagonistic to your teachings. But I, I'd like to know more about them, and, and I'll weigh them on their merits. And they were cool with it. It was up front. So the, the point is, if you listen to somebody, they will tell you everything that you need to know in order to help them, whether it's financial advice, whether it's tractor supply, whether it's working at a blind store that sells blinds, whether it's a contractor remodeling houses, whether it's a contractor building houses, talk to your client, ask open-ended questions, and, and, and learn to listen, and it will help, your, help whatever industry you're in. I want to tell you a story. And this is this video uh, reminded me of that story. I was door knocking in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was in a neighborhood. And uh, me and my partner, I can't remember who was with me, but we knocked on a door, and you thought there was a pair of lions. It's rah, rah, rah. Well, it was two dogs. And uh, so we, I hung, a, hung the literature on the door and started walking down the road. And Lo and behold, we got about halfway. We went back out to the road. You don't walk on people's grass. You walk down the driveway, and I turned left to go to the next house. And I was about halfway between this man's uh, driveway and the next uh, driveway. And he comes out, and he's ranting and raving, and he is cursing. And he has the literature in his hand. And basically, he, he said, he he was anti. He said, "Don't hang this foolishness on my door. I don't want. I don't want this. I don't even want to talk about it." Well, instead of me reacting uh, antagonistically, I put a smile on my face. I said, "Listen, I'm very, very sorry. Uh, yes, sir. I'll take this back." And he said, "I was sleeping in there. I've had a bad day. I've I've been diagnosed with something, and this dude's uh, the his his." His pupils were about the size of saucers, and I could smell alcohol on his breath. And uh, I said, you must be feeling pretty bad. That's all I said. He said, I am. And he started telling me this story. And turns out uh, the doctor prescribed him this this anti-anxiety medicine. He took alcohol, all this, that, and the other. And he's just been having a really rough time of it. And I asked him some open-ended questions. And... Finally, I just said, why are you, uh, why, why do you seem so antagonistic towards what we're doing here? 
then the dude told me everything I needed to know. He said, because I used to be in it. I used to be you. I was a Methodist, and I was going to be ordained this. I can't remember exactly what he says. This has been 10 years ago. I was ordained. uh, We're going to be ordained the bishop or whatever over so many churches. And he said, I just looked around, and I knew that God is not real because all of these churches out here, and they all disagree with one another. Therefore, God cannot be real. This dude told me everything at that point that I needed to know in order to destroy that barrier of entry into Christ. All I had to do at that point was go to John chapter 20, no, John chapter 17, and make the point about unity. There's just one problem. I had a person, not my partner, but a member of another team come up about this time and instead of listening to this guy, fought him, not fist fights. It ended up where the guy that come up said, look, you, you are just evil and you need to repent of your sins and you're going to hell if you don't change your ways. And I'm like... What did you not are you I was I was livid and it was very hard for me to control myself in that moment. We lost any prospect of that guy ever talking to us again because that guy didn't listen. He told me everything that I needed to know, the prospect, the the person that was angry told me everything that I needed to know in order to help him come to Jesus. And the other guy just come up interjected himself into the situation, and because he didn't listen to what the guy was saying, he just wanted to to disseminate his information that showed him to be right and the other dude to be wrong. We lost that guy. And I'm not saying that if he would have kept his mouth shut that we would have baptized him into Christ or anything like that. That's beyond my control. But we lost our chance. And I was, I was pretty living. I'm like, you, you don't do that. You, you, if I'm ever, if you're ever out with me again and I'm talking to somebody, you don't come up and interject yourself. I don't care what you have to say. And of course, word got out that I said that. And I was the bad guy for putting up that boundary. Anyway, that's, that's a different story. But the point is, if you listen to people, they will tell you everything they need to know. This man saw all of these denominations, and he took that information and drew the conclusion that God can't be real, where Jesus says unity is a testament that I am real, that God did send me. It's, you know, Neither pray I for these alone, but all those that shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, Father, as I are in thee, and thou in me that the world may know or believe that thou hast sent me. And we could have studied about unity, and we could have studied about what endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. We could have talked about all that. And I could have made the case that the reason he was looking around and seeing all of this confusion is because all of these institutions that were, that were chaotic are not from God because God is not the author of confusion. It's also the word for chaos, but of peace, as in all the churches. 
So it's not that God is not real. It's just that the the system into which this person was pressed was not a system that originated with God. Therefore, it's always going to be chaotic. And that's 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 the keystone that this man needed. If he could have understood that, then he would have had a clear road, a, a clear entrance into that straight and narrow gate. But he was denied that because of a fellow that wouldn't listen. So listening, very, very important. And go 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 follow some more stuff about Jordan Peterson. You'll really enjoy him. Uh, I've got one more video, and this is a video that is, well, it's it's just interesting to talk about. Um, it's it's from a an open forum. It looks like from a Christian apologist, and when I say Christian apologist, he's probably not a quote unquote New Testament Christian, as the New Testament defines that term. But I really like the way uh, these videos play out, and I like. I think they help us. If you're ever in this situation, never underestimate the power of asking why. Never underestimate the power of saying so what. Never underestimate the power of being very simple. You don't need to have a PhD. You don't need to uh, have all of the material at Apologetics Press memorized. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Apologetics Press is awesome. But this... This is so, what I'm about to show you. Is so simple, uh, even a caveman could do it. <laughs> even I could do it. All right, let's listen to the video. Morality. Oh, wait a sec. I'm an atheist. I can say the Bible's immoral. Yeah, but you can't justify it because because you have no sense of morality. Bible. All right. So this is on the question of morality. All right. And uh, this kid says, "I'm an atheist, and I can say the Bible is immoral." He's they're talking about objective morality. And the atheist is saying there is objective morality outside the Bible. And the guy on the stage is basically turning him on his ear. All right. Said, morality. Oh, wait a sec. I'm an atheist. I can say the Bible's immoral. Yeah, but you can't justify it because you have no standard of morality by which to say something's immoral. Yes, I do. What is I, it? I have that's a standard what we've been of morality. It's not okay to kill someone or rape someone or enslave someone. But that's just your opinion. Hitler says it is. So it's just so. Like that, that's, that is so simple, a rebuttal that you think it, it, it's, it's ineffective, but it is true. Go Google. Well, I don't know if you can Google anymore. Just look up the Nuremberg trials. The reason the Nazis, the Germans, the Nazis were able to be convicted of war crimes is because the Nuremberg trials appealed the prosecution appealed to a higher authority than that which is in the world. That's the only way you could convict the Nazis. And listen, the Holocaust happened. It was terrible. But the only way that you can say that if you have, is if you have morality from a source outside of higher than the world. Because from Hitler, from, from Germany's paradigm, there was nothing immoral about killing six million Jews. The, the defense that these, these war criminals gave is, we were following the laws of our land. We broke no laws. And, and the court said, no, you didn't, have to only, you didn't have to just break the laws of your land. There is a higher moral authority. It is objective. 
And I'm afraid that if something like this happened in 2023, that you wouldn't be able to 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 be you wouldn't be able to to convict them, because to what moral authority would you appeal? How would you how would you say that they did anything wrong? Well, you couldn't. Let's keep going. Subjective. It's your subjective opinion against Hitler's subjective. Opinion. Yes, opinions are subjective. So it's not an objective morality then. That's what you're saying. Silence. The kid is silenced. He can't answer that. Like you don't you don't have to whenever you whenever you quote unquote argue with somebody about the Bible, you don't have to say you don't have to make a case for the inspiration of the Bible. You just make make logical cases like this, talking about the metaphysics of it. You know, I talked to a young man that was talking about, you know, the stupidity of religion and the stupidity of the Bible. And he just had all these misconceptions. Well, all I did was deal with his misconceptions. And he's like, so you're trying to tell me that the Bible is, in, is, is actually come from the big bearded sky father, pejoratively speaking about God. I'm like, no, I don't have to. I, this, that you, don't, you don't have to believe the Bible is inspired by God. But you also cannot then turn around and believe all of these lies about the Bible. Like there, there, there might be good reason to believe to question whether or not the Bible came from God. But all of these, all of these arguments that you're putting forth, they just simply aren't true. So my suggestion is, if all of these reasons you're giving me to say the Bible is not true and to think the Bible is stupid. If none of them are true and none of them are valid, and, and we've clearly shown this and you've agreed to it, then maybe you need to rethink your position. I, I don't have to convince the Bible somebody. I don't have to convince somebody that the Bible's true. I just have to deal with their with their objections, and that's what this guy's doing. Well, there's no there's no moral there there's there's objective morality outside of Scripture, and no, there's not. Well, yes, there is. I know that killing and raping is wrong. I know that. Genocide is wrong, and the response of the of the speakers like, well, Nazi Germany didn't. So your opinion is that it's wrong. Their opinion is that it's right. Who decides? So therefore, from your paradigm, it is subjective. Morality is subjective. It is not objective. The difference between subjective and objective. Objective means it has the attributes of an object. For instance, uh, I know that I'm small right now, but I'm holding this remote control up. This is an object. It's a remote control to my light. See, I can turn it off. I can turn it back on. So this is a remote control for this light. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter your perspective, what what angle you look at it from. This is a Remote control. You, it, it's objective. It's an object. You can't argue with that. Well, the truth also is subjective. Or subjective. Come on, Tony. The truth also is objective. It is an object. The truth is not subject to your feelings and thoughts and desires. Morality is not subjective to your feelings, thoughts, or, or desires. It has attributes of an object. Whether you like it or not, this is more. This is moral. This is immoral, and you cannot say that there is objective morality 
separate and apart from God's word. Because then you, you, then you get hung on the horns of a dilemma when it comes to the Nazis in Germany. They thought genocide was okay. You don't think genocide's okay. Who's right? Who's wrong? If there's no higher moral authority. Right? Yes. Morality's not objective. No, it's there's, not. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with the Nazis. So there's we, nothing wrong with rape, slavery. To them, there's not, but to us, there is. And it's very clear so that societies subjective. that don't do that are much better off. Better off. Again, you're importing a moral law. We can go around on this. Do you guys see what we're doing here? Okay, we're, yeah, we're going in circles. We're going in circles because you don't have a standard by which to judge anything moral or immoral. All right, very, very good stuff. And, and, and notice he had no choice but to say morality is subjective. Because he kept using the language. Well, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. You're right. That's if you take the Bible out of the picture, then it is just your opinion. Well, I don't think that I don't think that thirty-year-old men should be uh, having sexual rendezvous with fourteen-year-old girls. Well, that's just your opinion. Like that sounds so crazy to us, but that's actually the the argument. If there is no if there is no God. Who is the objective moral arbiter of the universe? Well, when certain people are in power, there's nothing wrong with a 35-year-old man having a sexual rendezvous with a 14-year-old girl. When certain people are in charge of the world, there is something wrong with it. So what do we do? Well, we have to have the, the standard of morality. What is the standard of morality? All right, check this out. And they took him and brought him into the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For the Athenians and the strangers which were present, which were there, spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too religious, superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I to you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing as he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now here's the punch for our podcast today. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's design. 
we are the offspring of God, and in him we live and move and have our being. We are to take on the attributes of the Father. One of the attributes of the Father is how he acts, the moral code by which he exists that is passed down for us. It's in him we live and move and have our being. The rules of the universe are encapsulated with our, within our understanding of God. What would God do? You remember in the 90s, what would Jesus do? Same thing as saying, what would God do? We have to be made partakers of the divine nature. How do we do that? We read this document wherein is contained all things that pertain to life and godliness, and we learn to order our lives after that ideal standard. Morality is objective. If it's moral, it's, a, it's, it's moral for everybody. If it's immoral, it's immoral for everybody. Period. Because in him we live and move and have our being. There's a, I don't know if this is true or not. I think it might be apocryphal. But even so, it tells you what people thought about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was telling a, a, a class of young lawyers in law school. He gave them a question. He said, if you count the tail on a cow as a leg, how many legs do cows have? To which they replied, five. He said, wrong. Four. It doesn't matter what you call the tail, they still only have four legs. So how you identify something has nothing to do with its reality. That's objective. Morality and immorality are decided by God's word. And the only way we know God's word is that it has been revealed and written down. Anyway, something to think about. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. Yeah, Sue Ross says, absolutely, there cannot be morality without a higher law than man. And if, and if, and if there is no higher law than man, then we might as well just burn this book and do whatever we want to do. It doesn't matter. And, and that's the thing. Atheist, you know, this, you know what? Let's go to First John. Something just. All right. Check this out. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, here's the punch. Hereby do we know that we know him. So that's, that's fellowship. Knowing God is being in fellowship with God. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. Now what's this have to do with objective morality? Atheists claim that there is no God, yet they follow God's laws. So many atheists are moral, upstanding citizens of the world. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They don't steal. They don't murder. They act uprightly in business. 
So many people are that way. Why? What, what holds them? I put forth to you that they actually believe in a higher power. And their actions beguile what comes out of their mouth. For instance, if a, per, if a Christian says, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, yet they don't do anything that the Bible tells them to do, you would say you're a liar. Your actions beguile your words. Well, the converse is true. If a person says, I hate Jesus and I don't love God and I'm not a Christian and I don't care about heavenly things, and yet they act in a, in a, in a manner according to what God would want them to, to be, I'm not saying that they're in Christ. I'm not saying that they've submitted to Jesus. Because in order, I'm not saying they're pleasing to God, because in order to be pleasing to God, the first prerequisite is you must believe that he is. So these people can't be pleasing to God because they don't believe that he is. However, and incidentally, they won't confess him. So uh, they won't confess Jesus as their Savior, so God's, the Jesus is not going to confess them before his Father. But my point is, they say, I don't believe in God, yet they, be, they live the way God would want them to live. And I would say, then you're a liar. You do, you do believe in God. You're just not willing to submit totally and give up that control. Anyway, that's it. Uh, yeah, that would do away with all of our laws, too. We would have chaos if, if morality is subjective. You got it. And God is not the author of chaos or confusion, but of, but of peace or order, as in all the churches. Folks, that is all I've got for you today. I hope I've said something that's helped you. I hope I've said something where you can take it away from the podcast and apply it to your everyday life and be, be better going forward. I cannot believe we've got 14 people watching. That is amazing. For those of you that are watching Digital Bible Study YouTube, 2 by 2 Podcast Cogitations, make sure you're the algorithm for us. Make sure you share the live stream. Make sure you interact with the live stream. Make sure you push, punch the notification bell on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you can, support us monetarily, and there will be ways to do that in the show notes. This has been Tony Brewer minus Aaron Dotson. Keep him and, your, and his family in your prayers as they travel for that funeral. And um, that's all I've got here. We'll catch you next week. This has been Tony Brewer for Christianity Now, and we'll catch you on the flip side.